is very hardly and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. It's great to be back. I'm Benjamin Mushatama. And thank you to uh, uh, whoever stood in for me in the last week that I was away. And you are listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. If you're listening to us on DSTV, thank you for joining us on uh, Channel 902 there on that uh, radio bouquet or audio bouquet. Well, on the program today, we're looking at the collapse of the peace talks in South Sudan and the United Nations Security Council have given the warring parties in South Sudan a time limit to resolve the current conflict. So we'll look at that. But uh, we've got Joanna standing by to give us our news. Thank you, Benjamin. Burundi's controversial electoral elections process is wrapping up by village council polls. The Burundian government has called on citizens to remain vigilant against those who may disrupt the exercise on Monday. Spokesperson of the Ministry for Home Affairs, Terence Ntahiraja, has called on everyone to play their role in securing the village polls. First, the Ministry for Home Affairs would like to thank all Burundians in all corners of the country for having participated in the previous elections, be they parliamentary and communal or even presidential polls. Even though there were some Burundians who did not want these elections to take place, it's a great pleasure for us that the majority of Burundians have responded to a satisfactory rate. We would thus like to call upon everyone that on this Monday, all Burundians in all villages and neighborhoods all over the country would all go to their polling stations to elect their grassroots leaders. Torag rebels in northern Mali have announced they are pulling out of an international committee set up to monitor a peace accord between them and pro-government forces in the rest of region. This comes after deadly clashes between the rival groups sent tensions soaring. Sidi Brahim Olud Sidati of the rebel coordination of Azawad movements says his grouping is suspending participation in the monitoring group until loyalist forces pull out of the town of Anafes in Kidal. Almost 60 South African police officers have been killed since the beginning of the year nationwide. In two separate shootings over the weekend, two policemen died within six hours of one another. Two suspects were arrested on Sunday for the murder of a 37-year-old constable in the capital Pretoria on Friday evening. One suspect was killed and one arrested on Monday morning in connection with a shootout in Johannesburg on Saturday morning in which one officer was killed and another wounded. Jermaine Krieg reports. The police have praised the community for their assistance in bringing the killers to books. A Lodium constable was shot in his car in Attridgeville on Friday night and died in hospital. His wife is pregnant with twins. In Hillbrow, 
Two on-duty officers intervened in a robbery and a scuffle ensued. One of the officers was disarmed and shot dead. His partner was admitted to hospital. Yesterday, two of the suspects in the Atridgeville killing were arrested while one is still at large. This morning, a suspect in the Hillbrow shootings was killed and another was arrested and a police firearm recovered. South Africa's National Civic Alliance, Sanko, has meanwhile blamed the National Police Commissioner, Ria Piecha, for not coming up with a strategy to prevent the killings. The alliance has called on President Jacob Zuma to take immediate action against the killing of police officers. Sanko President Lengezwam Velase is president. This senseless killing of police will discourage our youth not willing to join police as a profession. We again calling on the President Jacob Zuma to call the National Inviso with all stakeholders involved to discuss the safety of the police in this country. We again calling on the justice system to impose heavy sentences. We ask the community to work with police to ensure the law and order in this country. And finally, military chiefs from West African countries around Lake Chad have finalized details of the deployment of a joint force to fight Nigerian militant group Boko Haram. After a two-day meeting in the Shadian capital, N'Djamena, they designated four command posts in Nigeria, Chad and Cameroon. The military commanders from Nigeria, Chad, Niger and Cameroon and Benin have agreed to accelerate the deployment of the 8,700-strong force. Recapping the top stories, Burundi wraps up its controversial electoral elections process. Almost 60 South African police officers have been killed since the beginning of the year nationwide. And finally, military chiefs from West African countries around Lake Chad finalized details of the deployment of a joint force to fight Boko Haram. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, you are listening to us on shortwave on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. And if you're listening to us on DSTV, you're listening to us on Channel 902, and that's live. Thank you for streaming us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's uh, www.channelafrica.co.za. And remember, during this program, we want to hear from you so you can send us sms's that's the main way we communicate only because we really broadcast all across the continent and uh, we can't really uh, get uh, calls from all over the continent but you can sms us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero that's the sms for this particular uh, show that's plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero now today we're looking at the situation in south sudan do you think that the south sudan situation can be actually remedied we know there's a lot of uh, conversations happening around that particular country. That's going to be our focus today. So do let us know your thoughts as the conversation takes place. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero is the SMS number. African regional leaders from the Intergovernmental Authority on Development, also known as EGAD, the African Union and the United Nations Security Council have given yet another ultimatum to the warring factions in South Sudan to reach an agreement on outstanding issues and seal a final deal. 
The 28th Extraordinary Summit of Heads of State and Government of the Intergovernmental Authority on Development was last week Friday wrapping up in the Ethiopian capital Addis Ababa after two days of intensive discussions on South Sudan. Now, IGAD, the regional bloc, as I highlighted, mediating the two South Sudan warring parties has brought President Salva Kiir and his former deputy-turned-rebel leader, Riek Machar, face-to-face, really on talks on Thursday and Friday last week. But it seems to be there wasn't really much of a cementing of things and seems like there's still a kind of a stalemate in terms of what's happening there. Now, to really assist us on this particular program today, we've got uh, Professor Fanny Fermak, who is a lecturer at the Department of Semitics at UNISA, who's joining us for this particular conversation. So we'll start the conversation with him as we're trying to get other guests on the line. Thank you for joining us on our program, Professor Fermak. Thank you very much. Good morning. Now, we see that there's still these internal disagreements, uncompromising language, and there seems to be really a 360-degree turn on really cementing some of uh, these issues, especially looking at that August 17 deadline to sign a peace agreement, leaving observers very confused about the situation here. Just from your analysis, also from what you've seen from this situation, Professor Fermak, what is at the root of the problem here? I think um, since uh, independence in 2011, when South Sudan became um, um, separate and independent from Sudan, we had uh, this uh, um, uh, struggle uh, um, uh, from the two main rivals, as you have mentioned, uh, President Salvakir and uh, Rick Machar, who was both um, um, from southern Sudan, and it also relates to their relation to Sudan uh, as well. Um, so uh, we have to know that uh, this is a type of a power-sharing struggle, one can say, mm-hmm. but we know they also represent different, the two largest uh, ethnic groups, um, Mr. Dink, the one is from from Dinka, Salakir is from from North family and mm-hmm. and the others from the Dinka. So you have two different ethnic groups mm-hmm. here. On the other hand, there were also several reports about uh, journalists being killed the last uh, a few months. In, in, uh, they were mentioned about seven, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently. Uh, uh, that has not been portrayed correctly. So we have this power struggle going, still going on. Uh, also in, in person, we know also uh, 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 both of them are, are uh, well known in the areas. Mr. Mm-hmm. Rick Machar is well mm-hmm. uh, spoken, he's educated uh, in the UK. And so uh, uh, for, for several decades, they've both been in this uh, position. And I think the major item is power, uh, mm. power struggle. Mm. Although we have some other ideas as well, mm. um, uh, which were not surfaced when Sudan and South Sudan uh, um, were separate in 2011. So a lot of these problems before that period surfaced actually now. And now we have a, a, a power struggle. It could be uh, a person struggle. Uh, but on the other hand, the majority of people are suffering, and that is our major problem at, at the moment. The, uh, accusations are that the leaders are not uh, looking after the uh, country in terms of poverty mm, and mm. in terms of children, 
uh, and it is more pro-struggle and not about the people. Well, and that is the main uh, focus, I believe. Well, let's hear what our other guests who are just joining us now, and let's introduce them before we move on. Uh, there you highlighting there, Professor Fanny Fermat, that the real issues here have to do with those power struggle dimensions. Now, let's welcome Ambassador Philip Jada Natana, who is the head of Mission of South Sudan in South Africa. Also joining us on the line is Luca Biyong Deng, who's the director of the Center for Peace and Development Studies, the University of Juba, Global Fellow at the Peace Research Institute in Oslo and Associate Fellow at the Care Center for Human Rights Policy at Harvard Kennedy School. But let me start with you, Ambassador. Thank you for joining us on our program. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on, uh, on, on board. I'm sure it's a very interesting time for you as an ambassador looking at the situation now. In terms of just an overall assessment of what's happening in South Sudan, we were just speaking right now with Professor Fanny Fermak highlighting the tensions between the two authorities, which is Rek uh, um, Machar and President Salva Kiir, saying they come from different uh, uh, regions. Also, there's that traditional element really contested here as well as their popularity and that's why there seems to be no coming together in terms of dealing with the issues here from uh it's your country it's where you come from from where you're sitting what is happening here why aren't we coming to a resolution well i think um it is actually the complex nature of the issues that have been negotiated and i think uh since the negotiation started um it has been um i think uh, the government has been saying it very clearly from day one that, you know, they believe that we can only resolve this issue through negotiations. Mm. Now, what has happened is that um, the way that the the negotiations have taken place, there has been a lot of uh, uh, disagreement in terms of uh, power sharing and and other issues, uh, which I think the mediators try to to intervene. But what has happened was that uh, the mediators tried to put in some proposals uh, in which um, I think, in a way, they are not they are not even giving the the, the warring parties. Uh, I think to try to to come into a middle ground. It's just like, oh, okay, this is the proposal that we are giving. You either take it and or, or leave it. That is mm-hmm. why that is what actually makes uh, the whole process so much more more complex. You know, because we think that um, if more time is given, I think to to the two parties to negotiate, then a resolution can be reached in some of the issues. So mm-hmm. if you have a situation whereby you are just giving a condition that ever, either you sign to it or not, then uh, it, it, it makes the, the, the whole process uh, very difficult. So what are the key areas, Ambassador Natana, in terms of what is in this particular agreement? Has it been outlined to the populations, and do we know which are the contested areas? Well, I think um, after, after the time that uh, our president did ask for... Um, an extension of uh, f- uh, 15 days, uh, two weeks in, in the time that he's going to consult with his constituency uh, to, to sign up. I think four major areas came up. Uh, one is the status of the capital Cuba, in which uh, the mediators had proposed. Uh, the proposal was that um, uh, it has to be demilitarized and uh, the, the forces that are present in Cuba, the, the government forces, have to move at least uh, 25 kilometers out of the town, uh, so that we have an issue with it as a government mm. because we think that it infringes on on the sovereignty of the country. That's issue number one. Uh, the second issue is uh, that we have is the powers of the of the vice president. Um, uh, the agreement um, 
the proposal from the agreement is is put in such a way that the the, the president has to consult with almost each and every issue uh, with the vice president, and he has to agree before uh, 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 the president can can move ahead. Mm. That's that's one of the that's one of the areas I think which we 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 have some reservations on uh, on, and then. Um, uh, two other areas which we have also reservations in this, uh, is the, you know, the percentages that are, are given uh, to the rebels in in, in the other uh, three states of um, of the Greater Upper Nile. That is uh, uh, Unity, uh, Upper Nile itself, mm-hmm. and then and then Jungle, because we feel that the rebels don't actually uh, represent those areas, and the percentage therefore given to them is is. is it's not as much as they would want to, so we would want to negotiate uh, on that. And then also the the percentages that are given to them in terms of cost sharing in the other in the other states, because mm-hmm. we feel even in some of those states they don't even have any presence. So these were some of the points that we think we have some reservations mm-hmm. on, and we felt that we would have uh, liked to at least uh, negotiate on them in order to reach. Um, uh, and a, a compromise which is acceptable to both of us. Now, let me move on to Luca Biong Deng. Uh, from your assessment from this conversation, thank you for joining us, uh, Mr. Deng. Tell us a little bit about your assessment of the situation here. You've already heard the ambassador in South Africa highlighting some of the contentions there. Your views? Yeah, first, first thank you very much for uh, having me give details. I, I think, let me go to the narrative of the the, the underlying causes of the current conflict. I think the mistake if we reduce it into a conflict between two individuals and the um, Allah around the ethnicity. I think what is happening in South Sudan is a fundamental question of issues of governance and issues of institutions. Mm. Because the eruption of conflict is started from within the and other political parties and institutions whereby the whole country depending so much on this political party, which is so a liberation movement that contributed for the, the, the liberation of this country. And it is because of the weakness within the institution that resulted in the, the conflict, that becoming a national crisis. I think it's very important we, we take it from that context. Equally also, is a country that is so exposed, dependent on oil, which I say two curses, the curse of oil and curse of liberation. Because the, the whole lot of liberation movement, the way you transition from, from, from liberation struggle to government, sometimes very bumpy and very difficult. So I think let, let, let us put in that context as an institutional uh, issue to do with it, rather than individuals and power. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as we talk now, uh, the, 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 the government did not sign the agreement, but initial the agreement. And I think the, and for the sake, I think that the president made it very clear that he would like to have consultation with the people of South Sudan. So to a degree, it's very important because the issues at stake are quite complicated and very difficult, and it is very important for the president get that blessing from the people. Now, after they are now in meeting the leadership of the country, they are in a meeting now in order to discuss these issues. Well, should they be able to, to sign or not? And if they want to sign, what are the issues that needed to be done? But it, although people may see that the, the government, um, I, I could say the, the agreement, if you look at the issues that are raised by the ambassador, are quite important issues. But, I, because, but if you look to the revised agreement, there are a lot of improvements. For example, the issue of Cuba. One of the problems of Cuba to be demilitarized was that they wanted to have what is called the joint security, uh, the third party security, which is actually impinging on the, on the sovereignty of the state. And I think what is good in this one now, they have to move it out. 
when it has been replaced by, by the, joint, the, joint, the joint police, which is very important. It is the national government should have the right, I mean, have the responsibility of this of accepting. The second one is about the force sharing the three states of greater uh, upper nine. What is happening now is that it, the, the earlier suggestion was 53% of the executive, the, the government in the, in the, in the, in these three states, 53% to the, to the rebels, and then, uh, 33 to the government, and, and then 14 to the other, other parties. What happened now in this proposal is that the, 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 the government is having the lion's share, that is 46%, in the three states. And one of the governors will be appointed by the government. It is only the two states, upper nine and then the United States. So basically, we are going to have, to have even the opposition, they will not have upper hand in, 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 in Dumbre, in the greater upper nine, because they will have a minority government, and the, and the parliament will be in the hands of the ruling party with the government. So in actual fact, you are not going to have a very effective opposition, even in the three states. Yes, there's additional thing that now the opposition they have, have been given the 15, 15% in the remaining seven states of South Sudan. In fact, and even, even the fact that the, the opposition, the ex-Saddam in opposition, especially the Jesuit for me, the way he handled the whole leadership, the way he started dismissing people, mm. that created a risk within the experiment opposition. In fact, it's putting even the government in a, on a higher moral ground, in on a better position. So let us expect that, I mean, now the meeting is now going on. I think the leadership of the country are meeting today mm. from then. And we hope they are going to come up with a decision that the, that, that the, the, the entire people of South Sudan, as I talk with you, mm. is everybody is aspiring to meet the peace in this country. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And today we're looking at the situation at or what's happening in South Sudan, the peace talks that are still underway even today, as highlighted there by our guest, uh, uh, Luca Biong Deng. And we're still going to carry on with our guests and really look at how the international community also dealt with this particular element because there seems to be a rushing of the process in itself. And thank you for joining us. Remember, do you think that the issue of South Sudan can be resolved. We know that there's also a humanitarian crisis. The, the last statistics was that 10,000 people were killed and about 2 million people are being displaced. Can we actually resolve the issue of South Sudan? Let us know your thoughts when we hear from you as our listener. Plus 27796957930. Already we've set the tone. It's nothing very simplistic. It's very complex indeed. But we'll be back after this break and continue with our guests. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views, and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. 
There's a big contestation here in uh, South Sudan. We're hearing that it seems to be a huge power element that is actually taking part in terms of these talks, in terms of what's happening. But also, uh, we see that uh, South Sudan seems to be in crisis, especially when we look at the humanitarian crisis there. So today we're looking at uh, the peace talks and the collapse that took place last week, and also the United Nations Security Council putting a time limit to resolve the current conflict. And uh, on the line, we've got uh, three guests who are joining us today. We've got Ambassador Philip Jada Natana, who's the head of Mission of South Sudan in uh, South Africa. And also we've got Professor Fanny Fermak, the lecturer at the Department of Semitics at, at uh, rather UNISA. And we've got uh, Luca Biong-Den, who has many titles, Director of Center for Peace and Development Studies mainly. And uh, uh, that's at the University of uh, Juba. But hey, let's uh, look at the international community seemed to be actually uh, pressing that things should be uh, fastened or fastened rather last week and uh, we saw the International Authority of Development the African Union and the United Nations Security Council actually putting a time limit there. Professor Fanny Fermak, were you surprised by this response from the international community? No, I'm not surprised. Um, uh, We are pleased that they are trying to intervene because, um, you know, um, it is uh, the, the whole crisis, humanitarian crisis, are, are getting extensive. Mm. And uh, it is very important that uh, people on the ground, uh, the politi- politicians, should uh, intervene and uh, cooperate. Because um, we are looking at who's the winners and who's uh, the losers. The losers are the, the ordinary people. And uh, uh, it, is, it is a problem. Um, uh, for the future. So, uh, yes, we are very pleased that our intervention, uh, which should have been done uh, quite uh, a long time ago, mm-hmm. because for the last five, four years from 2011, this has been uh, continuing uh, as, as, as a rebel uh, power-sharing uh, power sharing struggle, and, and uh, that should not go on for too long. Otherwise, we can have a a tremendous uh, problem. It's also affecting his neighbours now, uh, um, and it did not start actually in 2011 only. But they are uh, migrants going to different countries, and they are dealing with quite a number of issues. So the United Nations also have to deal with other countries which are trying to assist. And uh, it is not a, 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 a one single problem; it's actually a multiplex problem. And uh, for that reason, we are very pleased that I could intervene. Mm. Let me move that to you, uh, Ambassador uh, Natana, in terms of that time limit. Uh, that time limit was very much, uh, I think, about 15 days or so that was put by the United Nations Security Council. I don't know, from where I'm standing, did was that very necessary to have that 15 days, you know, or was it very too autocratic coming from the United Nations Security Council? Well, I think uh, the reason that has been given by the international community uh, saying that they really want to have uh, a time limit and they want to have peace uh, soon is because the reason given is that because they see the suffering of people and cannot therefore continue. But the question I think that they need to ask themselves is that if there is any peace that is imposed, what is going to be the guarantee that that peace is going to be implemented? And I think we have stories that we can referred to. Not only in, in South Sudan, we had issues with the implementation of the CPA that was signed between uh, then the SPLM and the government of Sudan, and we had issues which were not implemented, and they 
they become a problem. That is why you, you have conflict in both countries up to now. We have issues with, 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 with other countries, like, for example, in and, um, countries like Syria, where if you think about giving punitive measures to singling out people and feeling that you're going to impose bans and stuff like that, then they become intransigent, which is already happening in South Sudan, that you are having cracks already developing by some of the generals claiming that they had already deposed Riyadh Machad and therefore they have to be held accountable to any peace that is going to be signed because they are not going to respect it. So I think we should be looking much more at really this peace if it is signed. Is it going to be implemented? That's why I think that, you know, giving limits and threats and asking parties to sign a peace agreement under duress, I think the international community really needs to to go beyond uh, just looking at that, uh, that that event of signing the peace agreement, but actually looking beyond the process of how and if that peace agreement is uh, mm. implemented uh, to, uh, to the letter. Mm. Observation is a very important element of this, as you highlight, uh, uh, Mr. Natana. Let me move that to Luca Biong Deng. There seems to be like this fall-in and fall-out, but we need to maintain a certain form of consistency. It's not just about, we know that it's a historical fact on, on Africa and dealing with conflicts, that it's not just about signing agreements. Sometimes it's about uh, long-term uh, uh, assessments and long-term observation. Your view there, Luca Biong Deng? Yeah, yeah. Can you repeat your question again, please? I'm the just. Not, uh, sorry, I apologize for that. Let me try maybe uh, shorten my question. In terms of a long-term so- solution, as highlighted by Ambassador Natana, there it's not just about signing agreement. Indeed, the the international community has to be held accountable in making sure that there's, there's long-term observation of the process of security. Yeah, I, I, I think there's no doubt the fact that the uh, South Sudan as a new country. Uh, any conflict, and especially being a landlocked country, uh, the, the conflict itself will have a big impact to the region. Yes, that is, we need some work on the cost of war, the cost of war. And what we have found is that the cost, if this war continues for the next um, for the next five years, that it will be costing people of South Sudan about 28 billion US dollars. But not only people of Southern Sudan, even the region, the, the neighboring countries. Then the neighboring countries will be bearing about less than 58 billion years ago. But the international community, in terms of um, keeping forces, humanitarian assistance, about 31 billion years ago. So indeed, the issue of South Sudan is not only about South Sudan, it is about the region, it is about the international community. And, and, and that's why it is very important this peace agreement to address the root cause of this conflict. Because, and one of the things, and this is very important for us, we don't see this, this aspect this peace agreement. One of the good aspects of this agreement, it has indeed addressed a very serious policy and institutional reforms. Whether in the security sector, or economic sector, or even in, 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 in you know, issues to do with political justice. And for me, this is, this is the most important thing for, it's not about the power sharing. It is about how best we can put Southern Sudan on the track of peace and stability and, 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 and prosperity. And these reforms, if they are actually implemented effectively, I think we're going to see South Sudan is learning curve from this crisis to turn this crisis to become opportunities for a serious reform. I think, I, I think Rwanda did it from, from, from the genocide to a, to a prosperous country that actually everybody is proud of Rwanda today. I think South Sudan should go through that path, although the concepts are quite different. I think crisis, we should look at them 
came from the what are the opportunities to provide? It is true in terms of human suffering is so is so alarming. So we have about four point six people food insecure. We have two million people um, uh, displaced, about about half a million or six hundred thousand people to go to Egypt. So it is a concern, it's not a concern of people of South Sudan, it is a concern of the region, it is a concern of the international community. But indeed the feeling here in South Sudan, even the this crisis has been exacerbated by a serious economic crisis. Production oil reduced by almost half. The oil prices, the international oil prices, reduced to the, to the loss. South Sudan is the most affected country by this shock in the oil prices. So the, this country can be more than that. And that's why it is, it is quite important for the leaders of the South, really the aspiration of the people of South Sudan, as we talk now, nobody is talking about peace, peace, peace. Sometimes we, are, we may be better off having a bad peace than continuing killing ourselves, treating mm-hmm. these human 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 suffering. That is actually beyond well, Mr. Deng, your points lead me back to this idea of uh, the leadership in itself, scrutinizing these two personalities, Selva Kir and uh, Riek Machar. Have they done enough? And let me pose that first to Professor Fanny Fermak. Have these two leaders done enough for a form of reformation in South Sudan, for a prosperous South Sudan? Clearly not. We're seeing two leaders that seem to be really, really playing politics most of the time here. Yes, it is actually f- unfortunate. You know, since uh, 2004, when um, the, Su- uh, the South uh, Sudan and Northern Sudan um, had this conflict, especially, um, the infrastructure has been broken down. And um, since t- 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 12 11, uh, this infrastructure did not get, uh, did not receive the attention that it should have been. You know, the I'm talking of roads, infrastructure of managing areas. So the whole uh, industry inside, and uh, the the possibility is there. They they have some resources from the oil revenues and so forth. Uh, but unfortunately, the infrastructure needs to be uh, received a major uh, prominence, and and it seems that this is not happening at the moment. And, and uh, that is a crucial uh, issue why I think the Security Council intervened to actually start doing the right things to get the infrastructure building up the country. So since 2004, uh, it has not been uh, receiving any building up of the country. It's only breaking down to, to uh, uh, great, uh, great immense. Mm. Well, uh, Ambassador Natan, I'm asking a very, very much uncomfortable question for you because you're part of the governance of the country. But in terms of leadership, do you think that your country has done well? Uh, clearly not. Well, I think, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's always uh, it's always unfortunate part that, you know, I mean, people tend to jump and uh, very concluding and say put everything on on. on, on um, on top of the of the leadership, but you should remember that you know South Sudan uh, is coming from a long history of a struggle that actually started then in in, in 1955, and there is a very um, big uh, culture of violence that has been entrenched in South in the South Sudanese society. Unfortunately, this has been exploited by people who wanted to come uh, to power, especially the rebels movement. If you look at the situation now, even after the peace agreement was signed between uh, then the HPLM and, 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 and the government of Sudan, you know, there were, have always been uh, small groups that have always taken up arms and they think that they can 
you know, use violence in order to try to come to power, you know. So I think, and, and the leadership has always taken this, this, um, this situation, I mean, uh, this is son of always trying to negotiate, I mean, the leadership of South Sudan to negotiate with all these groups, starting from 2005 until today, we are still negotiating with all of these groups. And I'm sure that even if this peace agreement is signed today, and as I alluded earlier, there's already a group that has already distanced themselves from the and who will be concluding, uh, I mean, we will be ending up still trying to negotiate with them. So I think, uh, to be fair to the leadership, you know, if there is um, a leadership that is trying to, to always negotiate and try to resolve an issue by, by negotiation, I think they need to get uh, credit because uh, that should be the way that conflict should, should be resolved. So to say that the leadership of South Sudan is not really doing anything in resolving the, the conflict, I think uh, is not a fair judgment or an assessment. Mm, look at Dion Beng. Uh, there we're hearing that uh, Ambassador Natana is actually taking a more optimistic take on his government's uh, role in terms of making things work. Do you agree with him? Do you think that the government of South Sudan has done enough? Yeah, let, let me put it in this perspective. I think that as for the context of South Sudan, I always look at it the year. South Sudan entered into three transitions. And this transition is quite bumpy, very difficult. The first transition is a transition from from war to peace with the peace agreement of 2000 CPA, completely in 2005. You know, any any transition has a lot of a lot of challenges. The second transition is the transition of the SPLM, SPLA, from a liberation movement to government, and it has been proven to be quite difficult transition. In most cases, some of the liberation movement they failed to to succeed in this transition. Because the mindset that you use during the liberation, the struggle, is not the same uh, mindset that you can govern. And it has been published not only SPLM alone, but it's all across the liberation movement. And the third, the, third, the third transition is a transition from, by the time we have peace in 2005, South Sudan were preparing themselves to become an independent country. So a transition from one united country to an independent country. And you imagine all these transitions happening at the same time. And then they, we had a big shock shock of losing our leader, Victor John. And, and this one is exacerbated further by the fact that we are just depending on oil. So the mixture of all these things could appreciate the thing that happened in South, South Sudan. And, and, and because leader with this, all these transitions with these challenges. And that's why it's very important to discount how much you can discredit leadership. But I was, I was in the office of the president, with the current president, and I know what happened in terms of the way he managed to bring the people of South Sudan. You might have heard about the Juba Declaration. That Juba Declaration is because of his, his commitment that he wanted the people of South Sudan to come together. And it's one of the biggest achievements. He, he actually managed to bring on board all the militias that were using during the counter-insurgency. And it is because of his, his commitment to unite people. That actually, I could say, contributed for the unity of people of South Sudan. That resulted in the referendum that was conducted overwhelming the people to, uh, voting for the year. Mm. And so I could I, I think I should give him the credit that the unity I mean him is the only person who actually managed to unite the people of South Sudan. And, and your views, and, and, and just to cut you off there, but what, what are your views of Riek Machar? Do you think he's come to the table as well? Or uh, do you think that it's just the smaller splinter groups that... I was a minister in the office of the president. Mm. And I want just to there are certain things I want to share with you. One, first, you know there's this history. When Riek Machar defected and he came back uh, in 2002, there was this mix between where he should be, because he was, having, he was supposed to be set, set in, in, in command. Then he was looking for Mr. George to get the, the, the second position of, of, of being the first, the first, 
the first, I mean, the, the first Djibouti to, to Dr. John. That one created a bit of a problem. But let me come to, to real measure as a person. Personally, when the uh, peace agreement was signed, it is Senfo who decided that the real measure to become the, uh, the, the, his vice president. And that one because that is the hierarchy of the, of the SLM. Secondly, it is a very president that actually when they were working together, he delegated most of his powers to Reeve Meshar. Reeve Meshar was the one actually running the show of the government, to tell you the truth. Because most of the powers the president delegated them to, the, to, the, to, 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 to his vice president. Third, during the election, it is the same self that actually he nominated Reeve to be his running mate during the election of 2010. And I think it's very important for people to understand that one. And if there's a lot of malpractice of, or, or, or the leadership of, that, of this country, it's a collective responsibility. And there's no way that Rio can exonerate himself hmm. the way people mismanage the country. And we put it in the context in terms of this. I don't want to make it as individual issues. Well, we're gonna... to, to give credit, really, I want to say that the, uh, the current president, I think, he did a lot in terms of uniting the people of South Sudan. Well, I want to take one more break, and when we come back, we're going to just try to analyze a way forward. Can we have a way forward, especially after these talks are taking place uh, currently today? Uh, we'll wrap the, that up after we take this break. But hey, we want to hear your thoughts. seems very complex. It is very complex indeed, this particular situation of uh, these agreements that have to be actually come to a conclusion, according to the United Nations Security Council. As I mentioned earlier, there is a humanitarian crisis in the country. Do you think that South Sudan can actually become a prosperous country? Can they move forward, you know, with all these political uh, differences taking place currently? Let us know your thoughts. SMS us on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. You can tweet us at African Dialogue. Uh, we'll be back after the short break to see a way forward. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people events or anything you think is unique and interesting be part of our website and share those memorable moments with channel africa and the rest of the world don't miss this opportunity take a picture now tomorrow and every day pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org that's info at channelafrica.org you can view your pictures on www www.channelafrica.co.za That's www.channelafrica.co.za And also on our Facebook page Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance as you can hear there, there are different platforms that you can get a hold of us. If you're listening to DSTV, you're listening to us on channel 902. That's on the audio book here. That's the audio format of DSTV. And if you're listening to us via online, it's on www.channelafrica.co.za. On shortwave, you're listening to us on the frequency 9625 clothes on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Way forward is what we want to look at now for South Sudan. Uh, just to quickly, Professor Fanny Farmark, your views just in a minute or so. How do you think there's a way forward it seems there's an inconclusive deal here that is busy being worked out so how do we move forward from here i think the current discussion is going on with the intervention of the of the outside world um uh, hopefully will uh, stimulate uh, this um, discussions and hopefully will um take away some of uh, the problems or help to solve the problem so we believe this intervention 
might give a way forward, and uh, I think we'll have to wait and see if they all make a, a positive uh, a, a negotiation and deal there at, at the moment with mm-hmm. their discussion. So I believe they have the potential, they have some of the resources, they have uh, all the, um, revenues, so the potential are there. I think as, uh, as, as soon as the negotiations uh, items are agreed upon, um, by both parties, I believe it, it is possible that we will have a positive outcome. Ambassador Natan, I know this is unfair, but we've run out of time. In 30 seconds, what's the way forward? I think the way forward is just uh, the, uh, the parties should be actually allowed to reach um, compromise that is acceptable uh, to both of them. And I think uh, there is already a good deal will from the government of South Sudan in which that the president himself is attending these peace talks, yeah. um, negotiations face to face with the rebel leader. And so I think uh, um, if the mediators just uh, sit around the two principles, I think uh, a, peace, a peace deal that is acceptable to both sides will be able to, uh, will be able, we can be able to reach it and then therefore be able mm-hmm. to implement mm-hmm. it and then we can have a peace that is sustainable in South Sudan. Mr. Deng, your final sentiments in 30 seconds. Yeah, I, I think the most important thing is peace, peace, peace. And I think it's the desire of the people of South Sudan. And I think the moment we have peace, I believe we are going to lay a very good foundation to lift this country. Yes, I want to say a few things about this country, about the oil, about the air, about the water. About 40, 40, 45% of the night prison in South Sudan, mm. 98% of South Sudan is night prison. We're a country with a huge potential, not just in terms of minerals, in terms of agriculture. Well, we have this to let it go there. I think becoming a very, yeah. We have to let it go there. I think, I think, I think you, I think, Mr. Deng, I think you've wrapped it up very well, Mr. Deng, in terms of we need peace. We need to actually see the potential within the country. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to Ambassador Philip Jadanatana, head of Mission of South Sudan in South Africa. Thank you yeah. to Professor Fanny Fermak, lecturer at the Department of Semetics at UNISA. Thank you to Mr. Luca uh, Biong Deng, the director of the Center for Peace and Development Studies at the University of Juba. That's how we wrap it up. Let's move on now. It's 11.45 and let's move on and get our economics update. Joalana is back to give us that business news. Thank you, Benjamin. Good morning. The tumbling South African rand is proving to be a blessing in disguise for neighboring Zimbabwe as its struggling consumers now face lower prices for foreign products from countries like China and South Africa. Zimbabweans now need a fewer U.S. dollars to purchase the same amounts of rand to buy goods and to buy goods and services, Zimbabwean retailers import the bulk of their goods from South Africa and a falling rand cannot have come at a better time for consumers whose disposable income continues to decline. A falling rand means Zimbabwean consumers now find traveling to South Africa more affordable too. South Africa's Midupi Power Stations, Unit 6 in Lipalale in the Limpopo province, is now fully operational. The unit has been online since March but has been undergoing testing. Midupi, which is considered as one of the solutions to South Africa's energy crisis, will contribute 800 megawatts to the national grid. The power utility spokesperson, Kulupasiwe. 
There are times when we lose some of our generating units because of technical faults. Then the national control will phone a Midwipi power station manager and ask them, are you, do you have that machine maybe to give us, say, an extra 600 megawatts or 800 megawatts, depending on the shortage at that particular point. If they do have that unit and it's operating, then that's when you get your power and you avoid load shedding. Trade and political relations between South Africa and Japan are taking center stage today when officials from the two countries meet in Tokyo. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa is leading a delegation of ministers and business people to Japan. They are on an official visit to the world's third largest economy. The aim of the visit is to enhance existing trade and political relations between the two countries. Since the establishment of diplomatic ties between the two countries in 1992, South Africa has seen an increase in Japanese investments. Amos Paho reports from Tokyo. Our trade needs to keep growing and we're also here to meet their technology companies to see the extent to which we can learn anything from the Japanese, particularly their companies. But overall is to promote good relations between South Africa and Japan. We have wonderful relations and we want to extend those relations and strengthen them. We do apologize for that incorrect soundbite. Brent and U.S. crude oil prices have dropped below $45 a barrel, the lowest since March 2009. Investors are worried that a slowing Chinese economy will lead to weaker demand amid a global supply surplus. Other commodities also hit fresh lows in early Asian trading as fears spread that a more severe slowdown in China would pull down other economies in the region, denting energy and raw material consumptions. And finally, cocoa arrivals at ports in top grower Côte d'Ivoire have reached about 1.696 tonnes. Exporters estimated that about 14,000 tonnes of beans were delivered to the West African state's two ports of Abidjan and San Pedro last week, down from 17,000 tonnes in the same period last year. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 12.95 South African rand, at 10.02 Botswana Pula, and at 8.12 Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.63 to the British pound and at 0.89 to the euro. On the commodities market, platinum is trading at $1,013 and gold at $1,158 an ounce. Finally, the price of burnt crude oil is at $44.33 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. My man Fixozo is in the house that's fixing to give us our sports news. In our sports update, this hour is starting off with rugby news. The Springbok Women's Sevens team hopes of retaining their place as a core team on the 2015-2016 World Rugby Women's Sevens Series were dashed at the weekend as Ireland defeated them 26-14 in the Cup semi-final at the World Series qualifier in Dublin. South Africa registered their fourth victory in a row in the opening game of the day as they defeated Hong Kong in the Cup quarterfinal. But they went down against Ireland in the semi-final, which denied them qualification for the World Series. The team ended off the day with a 12-0 victory against the Netherlands to finish the tournament in third position. But this did little 
to ease disappointment of losing out on a World Series sport. Japan, meanwhile, joined Ireland as the second World Series core team. And in local rugby, Gary Gold, the director of rugby at South Africa's rugby side, Shaq says he's pleased with the character and fight the team displayed in their 16-31 loss to the Golden Lions in the Absa Curry Cup encounter in Durban. Gold considered that his team made errors at crucial times in the game. Meanwhile, Blue Bulls coach Nolis Murray has credited his team's good start to the Absa Curry Cup season to the desire to please their fans. Murray says his team is determined to play the type of rugby that will bring value to the money their fans pay to watch them play. The Bulls have now won all three of their games so far this season, with the latest being a comprehensive 47-29 beating of the reigning champions Western Province at Loftus Firstfeld in Pretoria at the weekend. And now, on to football news. Scandal hit FIFA can never be dominated by one continent. That's according to outgoing president Seb Blatter. Without going into details of naming or naming anyone, Blatter says in the past one continental federation had tried to exert dominance over the others, using proposed reforms as an attempt to grab the presidency. This is still a key point which was, has been in the past in the, in the past years, is the takeover of one confederation towards the others. But this cannot work in the FIFA, that's it. But this is, this was a movement, and this was also the movement uh, to, to get back the presidency, that's clear. Blatter says the organization would in future have ethics committees and more central control. He called for unity in soccer. Blatter's comments came amid an increasing rift between FIFA and the European Games governing body UEFA, led by former Blatter protege Michel Platini. Ethic committees are going to be installed, more control will be done, more football for peace, more fair play, and the football family is going together because we have to be together because we have been attacked. FIFA. The, the institution has been attacked. And finally with golf news, John Hugo claimed a record 10th Vodacom Origins of Golf presented by Samsung title when he won by a single stroke at San Lamia Country Club in Durban. Michael Flissmas reports. Hugo took a four-stroke lead into the final round and was tested over the closing holes. He was tied for the lead with two to play and then birdied 17 on his way to a 74 and the win on six under par, again showing that faith in his ability to win when his game isn't necessarily in top form. Yeah, faith in yourself, you know, that's why the youngsters, you can check Jordan, you know, Spieth and those boys, they just, Jason, they just, they've got so much confidence and that's, that's the main game, you know. You've got to be, you've got to have so much faith in your, in what you're doing and your ability. Derek Peterson and Peter Comer shared second on five under. Michael Flismas, San Lemia. And that's your sport news this hour.
Well, it's time for us to wrap up our conversation. Remember, we want to hear from you. Plus 27796957930 is our SMS number. That's plus 27796957930. We want to hear from you the conversation we had on South Sudan. Do you think that uh, these two uh, warring parties can actually resolve the conflict currently in the country? Do you think that we can see stability and peace? That was the call from uh, Luca Byongdeng, who was speaking to us earlier on. And a very frank uh, ambassador, uh, Natana, was telling us about some of the areas that are being contested, demilitarization in Juba, powers of vice presidency. We heard that there's air, certain provinces that are being contested, uh, unity and the upper Nile there, and also the power-sharing presence in some of those contested regions and areas in South Sudan. So we want to hear your thoughts. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday. Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. Remember, you can actually interact with us on Channel Africa on Facebook. Go to Channel Africa page. Simply title that Channel Africa, Channel Africa, two separate words. And you can tweet us at Channel Africa 1. It's the number one, the numeric one, at Channel Africa 1. Or you can tweet us at African Dialogue. So there's many ways that you can get hold of us. Go also to our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za. That's how we wrap up the program. Tomorrow we're going to be looking at uh, Water Week. This week is Water Week. We know that we're having a drought problem in the southern parts of the continent. And uh, hey, when we come to looking at this issue of climate change, hey, water is becoming slowly but surely a scarcity in our communities. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. So we'll be back with you. Coming up is African Dialogue with Economy. So give you the latest news on what's happening on our continent, Africa. I'll be back with you tomorrow. the globe every second there's always a breaking